Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Mark Tullius. Mark is a former MMA fighter, and he's also an author of many, many books. He's a great interview, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. Check me out on Instagram, at NoorKidWai. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. But let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Mark Tullius. All right, welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Mark Tullius. Mark, thanks for joining me, my man. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. This is going to be awesome. Oh, I'm looking forward to it too. Um, so uh, you have such a cool background. Uh, you, you've done some MMA fighting. You're an author. Um Give our audience just like a little bit of a quick background of like where you come from and like uh, all the shit you've done. <laughs> Man, a lot of those things I regret. I'm in the middle of writing a book on traumatic brain injuries <laughs> um, because I have, although it's been a fun past, I've definitely done a lot of damage to myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I played uh, high school football, college football. Um, then I got into MMA. I even made a run for, I tried uh, professional boxing with no amateur experience. Um, wow. Went back into MMA uh, and, and then with car accidents and everything else. So I have done a number on myself, on my brain. But the good news is I've found ways to fix it and to correct it. And so uh, the last couple of years, that's what I've been doing is doing research on traumatic brain injuries while also working on my fiction. Um, I love writing fiction. I think I have 10 books out and, uh, you know, I have so many more that are planned. Uh, that's why I'm really anxious to get done with this, uh, the, the TBI book, just so I could go back into my writing. I, I love writing horror, science fiction, suspense, um, anything where I get to kill off characters. <laughs> and, yeah, so that, that's pretty much, that's the majority of what I've done. Uh, a lot of different jobs along the way, but for the last uh, 12 years, I've been, or thir- yeah, 12 years, I've been a stay-at-home dad also. Um, so that's been awesome. I was able to pretty much be with my daughter every single day, uh, awesome. you know, spend a lot of time with my kids. So that's been, it's been a, it's been a good life. Yeah, yo, can't complain about that, right? Yeah, so this is, yeah, you said a lot, and there's uh, like a lot of different uh, directions I want to go with, but uh, I guess since you mentioned like uh, the traumatic part of your like uh, do head injuries and stuff, like maybe we'll start there. Like, so you said you went from football into like MMA and boxing as well. Like, so did you have head injuries in football as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. I And I think that's probably I, I had a head injury early on as a kid, like in second grade, even got checked out because I was having headaches. And who knows what that did. But um, I wasn't allowed to play tackle football until high school. And then I started, I remember being knocked unconscious, I think, maybe three to four times in football. Um, and that doesn't count for all the other concussions, man. And that, that that's what I realized with all this reading is 
you know, you don't have to be knocked unconscious in order to have a concussion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I had so many of those. And then when I got into uh, MMA and then the professional boxing, uh, I think I had another, probably like another three times fully knocked unconscious. Uh, but then there were a couple of times where, man, there was a time when I was boxing, uh, it was against a guy that I would go with all the time. We were sparring. Um, he hit me with a shot in the first round and I remember we, we broke and we got water. And then the next thing I remember is being outside the ring and telling my coach, I was sorry. And he was like, sorry for what? I said, well, I couldn't even get through one round. He's like, dude, he's like, you just did four rounds and they were amazing. He's like, after, after that, that blow, he's like, uh, you took water and he's like, he's like, you just finished three and a half rounds and they were the best rounds I've seen from you. So I was just on automatic pilot and, wow. uh, yeah. And then I had a scare. My last MMA fight was really scary too, where I took a, I remember seeing the blow coming and then I was never knocked unconscious. I had to watch the video to believe it, but I just remember seeing the, the blow coming and then waking up. Well, coming I mean, to, I was sitting in the locker room talking to my coaches and they were all really worried and saying they were going to take me to the hospital. Cause I kept saying the same thing over and over. And um, so, yeah, there were quite a few, I, I did a number on myself and then what was really bad, was uh, I think it was in 2012 I started I decided I wanted to write unlocking the cage uh, that was my first nonfiction and because I always wondered why I was fighting I never like one I wasn't any good uh, so why continue if I was like I wasn't winning my fights I won a couple fights but for the majority of them I wasn't winning um, I knew I was taking a lot of abuse I wasn't making money in fact I was probably losing money because I'd have to take off of work in order to go to fights yeah. Um, you know, so I can never understand it. So that's why I went, I started going around the country. I went to, uh, 23 States, a hundred gyms and I interviewed about altogether about 400 coaches and fighters trying to find out why they fought. So I could figure out why I fought. Um, and that would have been all great. But then I also started getting back into training. Um, and from training, I got into sparring and man, I, I even, there was one day, uh, Kings MMA in Huntington beach, and I sparred against Fabricio Verdum, who was the UFC heavyweight champion, and Babalu. And man, like they just beat the crap out. <laughs> well, and, you know, so this is at 41, 42, 43, I'm taking all these blows to the head again and uh, and not really thinking about what damage it might be doing. I, I even thought about trying to take a fight. Um, but yeah. fortunately, I had a friend who was, he was my photographer and he told me, he's like, hey, man, he's like, have you looked into brain damage? Because these guys are beating the shit out of you and uh, you know, they're half your age and three times your talent. And, you know, but I yeah, always, so it, it took you like that, like late until you realize like, okay, this might actually have some like negative consequences. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing what we tell ourselves as far as what, well, what our normal is my normal seem normal, you know? And so yeah. Yeah, the, the aggression, the impulsivity, uh, the depression, anxiety, like all these things, that was just my life. So I'd never really thought about why I was like that. Or um, I always figured, you know, and one of the bad things was I would do brain games like on Lumosity and different things like that. So I would, I would test my brain. And because I had high scores, I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, I'm fine. My brain's working fine. But mm. those games aren't a good indicator of your actual brain health, I found out. So uh, like, what is the like what are the indicators or symptoms of like this brain health or trauma when it's actually like 
like happening and like or it's happened over time you know yeah um I would say those are some of the big ones, uh, especially with head trauma. So, um, yeah, depression, anxiety, uh, dark thoughts, uh, impulsivity, um, all, all my damage. I did a, I did, I think it's a, called a QEEG. It's through, uh, for neurofeedback, mm-hmm. um, where they, they scan your brain. And I was able to see like all my prefrontal cortex uh, was severely under functioning. And so for a long time, I've had trouble regulating my emotions, um, you know, stopping impulsive thoughts, all that is controlled in that area. And because these areas weren't working very well, um, and a, a big part of it too, is your reaction to stress. That's, that's probably been the biggest, the biggest change in my life as I used to react very negatively to any stress. Uh, and now I feel like I can handle anything, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to get defensive. Um, you know, and it's not all because of like the neurofeedback definitely made some changes. I also had to have um, my hormones regulated. Um, that was the first step I took because with, with a head injury, um, that's what's going to happen. It causes all this inflammation in the brain, and then you're no longer able to self-regulate. And so my testosterone was super low and different things were high. And yeah. so we had to get all that where it needed to be first in order for these other things to kind of work. So that's, uh, so is that one of the treatments? Like, so how are you treating this to like make it uh, better and like, or just keep it under control? Yeah. And that's, you know, when I started, I wasn't sure, you know, it's kind of scary taking a look at yourself too, taking a look at your brain and not knowing like, because once I started doing the research, I was like, oh man, I'm screwed. I was like, it's going to be dementia, you know, no matter what. That's what, that's it. That was what was going on in my head. The more research I did, the more books I read, the more I found out that you can change your brain. Um, you could, you know, you could create new pathways. I'm not sure. And I've definitely recovered function. I, I don't want to promise that I'm not going to get dementia, but I think I've done all the things I need to, to really either postpone it or, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully put it off. Uh, but I did the hormone regulation. Uh, that was with uh, Dr. Mark Gordon and his daughter, Allison. I, I, I found out about him on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Okay. Uh, he fixed so many different uh, military guys that had TBIs from, you know, repetitive gunfire and, and blasts and everything else. And just by regulating their hormones, he was able to correct so many problems. Wow. In fact, it was like two weeks after doing his, uh, starting his treatment protocol, I remember being in my backyard um, ready to get high because, dude, I was getting high at probably 8 30, 9 o'clock every morning and then smoking all day long. Uh, that was one of the ways I just kind of dealt with stuff. Um, mm. But I remember I just broke down crying because I'm like, holy shit. I was like, I wasn't crying because I felt bad, but I, I couldn't believe how bad I had been because I, I had this absence of this, you know, the absence of the anxiety and depression and all these other things. I'm like, I can't believe I was living with all that before I didn't know it. Uh, But so it just felt so much better. And then after that, I did, uh, I started doing behavioral therapy, you know, talking to a therapist, which helped a lot too. Uh, That's an important part of it. Um, You know, learning how to control your emotions and then the neurofeedback has helped a lot. Um, And I also did a specialized form of chiropractic, which only focuses on the, the Atlas uh, and the, I think axis, the very top of your it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that is supposed like with concussions um, and car accidents, everything like that, that can, if that comes out of place, it can really affect brain flow. And with that one, it's hard to measure how effective it's been, but that's another thing that I did. So 
those are, the, are probably the main things. And then fixing the diet. Diet is huge too. And also exercise. And um, that's kind of what I'm going through right now in the book is looking at, you know, some of these things I did cost a lot of money. You know, I probably spent $20,000 on my brain in the last year, uh, maybe two years, mm. which is a lot. Um, you know, and I know there's so many people out there that just cannot afford to do that. Yeah. And so what I'm doing in these last chapters of the book are just looking at all the things that we can do, like how important exercise is, how important um, diet is, uh, you know, cutting out all the sugars, cutting out all the things that cause inflammation and make things. Yes. So when you're talking about diet as mostly inflammation is what you're focused on. Yeah. Yep. And so just cutting out the things and then also supplementing with, you know, all the things, all the different types of supplements that can help. Um, you know, I'm definitely not an expert on it. I, I take certain things, uh, but uh, yeah, the book I'm reading right now, um, The End of Mental Illness, like this book is awesome. It has head trauma is just one of the things that looks at, but it, he has all the list of different things that you can take in order to, you know, help your symptoms. Um, and another thing I've been doing the last two months is going into uh, doing cold immersion, uh, going into my pool. Oh, uh, nice. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, it, it started out being really crappy, man, and not wanting to do it and be hard to get into. But after a while, like now I could, I could walk into it. So, and it's like, yeah, no, I, I do cold showers the same. And like, oh, uh, nice. at first you're just like, oh my God. But like all of a sudden you get to the point where you're just comfortable in it. And it's great. Like you come out of it and you can tell like it reduces inflammation. You can just feel it, how much better you feel like afterwards. And like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a crazy story, man. And uh, no, I'm happy. Like you've uh, tried all these things that are helping your like uh, get back to like a kind of your healthy self. And uh, I know you said like st uh, stress is like a huge part of it too. Like, and you have to like let go of that stress. And that's why probably worrying about dementia all the time is probably not the best thing. Eh? <laughs> uh, but uh, so I, I'm in, in, interested in like, so your book, Unlocking the Cage, you talk to uh, what was it like 300 fighters across the country. Mm -hmm. And um, so let me like, so now what do they know about uh, like concussions and brain health and all of this stuff? Like how do fighters approach this or think about this? Or is this something they can even think about? Because they're going in the ring with the guy who's going to freaking try to punch his lights out, right? Exactly. A lot of them do not want to even consider it. Um, you know what? I, I had some talks when I was doing the research. I really didn't care about head injuries too. You know, and I was kind of looking at guys and kind of trying to see whether or not I could pick up, you know, which guys are punchy and which guys are not and everything else. Uh, but yeah, a lot of guys just wouldn't want to talk about it. Um, some, uh, I, there's one UFC fighter who recently reacted to one of my posts about traumatic brain injuries and CTE saying that is not real. And, uh, okay. you know, I think, I think it's just a safety mechanism where they have to disconnect and just hope that they're going to be okay. The nice thing now though, um, and that was one reason why I started it was because the, the TBI book was because of all these fighters that I know. And then I also had a lot of uh, college football teammates write to me telling me that they're in brain studies. And these are guys that didn't go on to play MMA or anything else like that. They, they just played football and now their brain's a mess. Um, and so, but the good news is it used to be like, okay, if you messed up your brain, then you're just screwed. But now it's like, okay, you could play these sports, but if you're being careful, you know, if you're fighting, especially like, let's say MMA, if you're not having the hard uh, training sessions where you're just taking a lot of abuse, unnecessary abuse, 
that's great. If you get a bad concussion, you know, taking the time off to heal. Um, that was one of my biggest problems was never taking time off after taking a blow to the head. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had one really bad car accident, totaled my car. Two days later, I was sparring, you know, and that's when oh, I had a wow. really bad hit. And so um, you by, by taking the time off and then by, you know, doing the things in order to remove that inflammation and to like not to return to training again until you're better. I think that's one of the biggest things because it seems like it's the repetitive, uh, you know, it's getting hit in the head after not recovering from your last hit. That's probably where the most damage comes from. And in, in football, uh, we see that a lot with the young kids dot. I don't know how often, uh, and I forget what it's called. I believe it's SSID where a lot, you know, kids have died from football, taking a blow to the head after, you know, they had a concussion last week, they didn't recover. They went back into training and then they took another bad hit and, you know, things go awful. So it doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. And so um, like, man, I would never, I don't want to say I would never let my kid play football, but I would highly, highly, highly try to convince him not to. Yeah. And Hey, I I remember having a few injuries in football myself and like, uh, I play a lot of hockey as well. And like uh, both of those, I've had some times where I'm like, I'm a hundred percent. I had a concussion there, but like, you know, we didn't talk about it, but like, this was only like 15 years ago or 20 years ago. We never talked about that shit then, which is, it's funny how like new this kind of like uh, conversation is. Right. Yeah. And like, even in football, I remember just my one buddy with one of the football bags, like my one buddy just came over and just kind of gave him a tap on the head. And like, he fell to the ground and he was out for a while. And we're like, Oh, you all right, buddy. Like it was such a small tap. All of us are like, what the hell's going on? And like, he got up and he was like, man, for some reason that hit me. And then like later that night, he's throwing up everywhere. They had to get the firefighters in to like take him all up into the hospital everyone's freaking out like what's happened and it's just like he suffered a huge concussion off of like a love tap almost just because it hit him in the sweet spot right mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's scary man and the other thing is as men like we don't we don't talk about it and as as athletes whether it's football or hockey or whatever it's like we're always taught that you know you get knocked down you get back up uh it doesn't matter if you're hurt like and especially if you can't see an injury you can't see a brain injury um, you know, so I don't know. It, most, I think nowadays, a lot of people probably won't even tell their coaches if they have a concussion because yeah. they know they're going to lose their spot. You know, they'll know their coach has to take them out and there's a good chance, some, you know, someone's going to replace them and who knows if they're going to get their spot back. So, um, yeah, yeah that's so like, I guess there has to be a kind of a change in that culture a little bit. Um, I like I am interested in like your book uh, unlocking the cage a little bit like uh, so you did interview all these fighters um well what like what did you find that like motivates most fighters like why do they become fighters and like even you said at the beginning you're not making that much money and like money can be a long process and like not too many people end up making it like so what what's the motivation you see behind most fighters. Um, I think there were several different groups and, and that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway for me was there was no one reason why people were fighting, you know, and I, I kind of, I was kind of hoping there was going to be like a cut and dry answer. Like, okay, yeah, they, these people had this kind of background and this and this and this, but man, I interviewed because I was talking to people from so many parts of the country, you know, rich areas, poor areas, uh, you know, different types of settings. Uh, I think I got a pretty good sample, but there were just so many, so many different reasons. Um, 
you know, a lot of them were just very, very competitive. Like they would, they spent all this time going through high school wrestling and now they're done or it may be even college. It's like, what, what do I do? How do I, you know, how do I get rid of this energy? How do I use my talents? And so guys would sometimes just transfer right over. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were guys like me, well, there were guys that did martial arts their entire life, you know, and just wanted to prove, you know, that their martial art works and, or, you know, or this combination of martial arts works. Um, there were guys like me, I found <laughs> were not very good. And those were the guys that were, you know, probably had, kind of a crappier, uh, like lower self-esteem, trying to prove that they're tough guys. You know, I always wanted to be a pro football player. When that didn't come through, then I was like, okay, well, next best thing is fighting and and just being tough. And, you know, I I saw a lot of those kinds of guys, but those were the guys that were not successful. They were kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm and so everyone had their own motivators, but more than anything, it was just a combination of all these different factors. And, uh, you know, but it was super interesting. And, and what I really enjoyed from the book was I realized, man, I just loved finding out what made people tick and hearing about their story. And, and, and it wasn't even so important that they were fighters. It was just another person is sharing their story. And I'm able to see like, okay, because that was other nice thing that did it kind of gave me a blueprint because I would even talk to like parents, you know, the fathers like, okay, well, like, how do you, you know, what kind of relationship do you have with your kids? And so I'm like, all right, this dad did a good job with this, this and this, this person's happy with what they did. And so I was able to kind of like, okay, here's a good blueprint. You know, I was like, if I do these things, I'm going to be more happy. If I do those things that these other people did, I won't be as happy. So um, it was kind of nice. So not only did I kind of find out about fighters in general, but I'm just able to find out about all these people and how they live their life and what works, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's uh, pretty, uh, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, I like how you were saying like, uh, that there's like a lot of people like going in it, in it for the excellence kind of thing. Like I'm trying to master my craft. And then you also have the people going in it uh, kind of like more of like a masculinity toughness, kind of like prove something to themselves. Like, which, yeah, like you said, it's kind of a, it comes from a low self-esteem, like I'm not enough, so I need to prove something. So you're doing it for the wrong reasons, which is probably why you'll fail in the end is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, no, I could understand that. I'm like, so do you see like, would you say there's a fighting culture, like there's some sort of culture behind it at all? Um, I would say so. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, and it's, that's one one of the hard things too. Once you're in that world, it's so hard to leave because it is an awesome world, you know. And it's like I enjoy being around fighters for the most part. Like they're good people. They're like I enjoy it, whether it's you know. And then I made the transition to jujitsu, which gave me almost just as much. But uh, yeah, once you're in that environment and you bleed with these people, you 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 bust your ass. You you go to places where you never thought you would be, like mentally, emotionally, and all that. Um, it would be hard to leave. And then again, it, and then it's hard to leave off of a loss. Like you don't want to end your career on a loss. And, uh, and then you see the ability to make more money. And, but yeah, I think once, and I think one of the big problems too, well, maybe it's not even a problem is just, you know, you identify as a fighter. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, that was one of the biggest things for me, um, you know, going in 40 years old, 41, 42, being able to, you know, on Facebook, all of a sudden I'm, I'm Mark the fighter, you know, and I'm, I'm putting up pictures of me fighting again or, or sparring. And now I'm a tough guy again. And so I now have this new identity and letting that go, you know, a lot of people probably won't admit that, but, 
no, I think, I think that identity is, is a huge part of it. It's like, okay, who are you? It's like, oh, I'm a fighter, you know? Uh, and then that was one of the big draws early on. It's like, you know, I, I used to be very shy, very, very quiet, you know, but all of a sudden it's like, oh no, well, I just fought. And, you know, so it's that much easier to try to hook up with people or make friends or, or whatever it is. Yeah, so yeah. No, that, I can understand it, that. Like, I'm one, like, I know, like, I'm, like I'm a comedian so like I know when you all of a sudden put something as your identity uh, like it's, it could be hard to take that identity away because like all of a sudden you built up so much shit around it which is like uh, sometimes it, it's healthy sometimes it's not as healthy so like I, I know exactly what you're talking about um, all right we'll do one more on the fighting and then I want to move on a little bit to your writing and stuff um, but uh, yeah I was I, I do want to kind of know like what's the discipline of a fighter and I also want to know, like, what's the mindset you got to cultivate, like, when you're going into a fight? Because, like, and, like, how does that mindset get fucked over, like, when you win or lose a fight? You know what? Um, my mindset was always terrible. And that was one reason why I didn't do well. Like, I didn't have, I didn't have confidence. I didn't have game plan. I just kind of went in there hoping for the best. And I would often just take fights where I was super... I was the underdog, but I kind of also liked that because that gave me an excuse, you know, when I lost, like, so yeah. I was going to lose the fight. It's like, Oh, well, that guy had 20 more fights than me. Um, but by talking to all these different fighters, one of my favorite talks was with Dominic Cruz. Um, and man, he, like he was talking about just who he is as a person, you know, if someone like he, he's a, such a nice guy, so friendly, but he was saying, he's like, man, if you see me, you know, two weeks before the fight, he's like, I'm an asshole. He's like, I'm, I'm a completely different person. He actually, I think moves out of his house. He goes away from everyone just so he can just put all his focus, all of his mind is on this fight that's coming up. Um, and uh, Michael Chandler was another one. Like he is just, it, they're a whole nother level. Their, their level of dedication and uh, discipline is, is something I never had, but something that I was incredibly impressive um, but yeah, there's a whole, I think there's a lot of guys that really, uh, focus on visualization, you know, taking the time to really think through this whole fight and, and imagine how it's going to work out. And, um, there's so many more tools now available, uh, you know, that I just, I wish I had taken advantage, but never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. And then taking a loss that, that that's a tough one. Um, I have a very good friend, uh, Steve Montgomery who fought in the UFC, He's actually writing a book with me right now. We're going to come out with it later this year called uh, Try Not to Die Super High. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I know he had a tough time. He lost a close fight in the UFC. And then after that, uh, you know, his next fight, I think he broke his leg. And another fight, he, he broke his jaw. And, you know, he, he's a talented fighter. He's a great fighter. But he's, you know, realizing, you know, and it was hard for him to realize, like, okay, maybe I just, you know, I shouldn't do this anymore. Um, and, and having to let that go. And especially if you're going off on a loss, like that's, I know a lot of guys have a hard time with that. And they probably take a couple more fights than they should because of that. Yeah, no, that, and like, I bet it would be like, yeah, I bet it's kind of tough. So like, uh, even like when you do lose a fight though, does like, like, does that kind of fear kind of slip into you or that un- like, like the lack of confidence kind of starts slipping into you and like all of a sudden, like, you know, for your next fight, because then all of a sudden you have that hesitation in you or that, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. If you, you know, you're beatable, uh, and yeah, having that, having that doubt in your brain is probably huge. 
Um, you know, and I know a lot of guys that completely, it, it doesn't phase them or they know how to work through it. Um, but I think with me, once, once I realized I could lose and that losing wasn't that terrible, like it sucks. It's not fun. Um, but once you go through it, it's like, eh, okay. You know, I could have gone either way. I ended up losing, uh, I guess it's just all on the person's how they how they handle it, what kind of support system they have to how much they value that compared to you know is that their entire life is all their identity them winning this fight and being a, a, a you know a fighter with this kind of record you know or can they have pride because they were 50 50 you know so a lot of it i think is probably their what kind of support system they have and just what kind of beliefs they have mm-hmm. yeah and like uh, yeah no i've always uh like thought that was really cool because like it seems like a lot of fighters have like uh like they can they have a very meditative mind they have to constantly watch their thoughts constantly watch uh like their emotions and like their moods and like their discipline everything they're doing like i love that that's like such a kind of like uh, that's what i'm into so like i have to give respect to that <laughs> yeah no it, uh, it, it's amazing all right let's uh let's move on to your writing um yeah, so like we talked about you unlocking the cage, which is I guess your nonfiction book. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about your fiction because like um, you you write like uh, uh, I guess you're saying horror, sci-fi, like uh, stuff like this, and like you say you like to like go into like dark and disturbing areas or dark and disturbing writing. Uh, what? Why do you uh, uh, want to do that kind of writing, or what brings it out of you? Um, you know what? I I wondered that for a long time, but. Man, I've had dark thoughts since I was pretty young. Um, and I and I kept most of those to myself because I, I grew up in like a Catholic household and we weren't supposed to, you know, watch bad things or say, you know, say bad things or whatever else. Um, but, dude, I remember being like five or six years old in church and thinking about people like which people I was going to kill. You know, it's like, OK, <laughs> if I shoot this chandelier. How many people is it going to come down and crush? (laughs) And people are going to communion and think about which ones I would, you know. So I just I've had these dark thoughts for a long time. Um, And so by writing about them like that, that gets it all out. And I would have uh, terrible dreams, like awful dreams where I just wouldn't even want to sleep. And so, again, I would whatever those dreams were, I would just put them on paper, you know, change them up or whatever else. So um, I think it was just coming to terms with that because. I've tried writing stuff that is not dark, but I was like, what's the point? Like, there's no, for me, it's like, there's no story there. Um, Like even one of my, probably my softest story that my nicest story, it's about these old people. uh, It's called every precious second. Like these old people have been living together for 50 plus years, uh, but the wife is dying and they're trying to just capture their last couple of minutes like even that I had to ruin it. Well, I don't know if it ruined it, but <laughs> the, the ending is pretty, pretty sad and messed up. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah. It just, I I've always enjoyed it. That's just where my writing goes. It's just how my brain works. And uh, I think I used to kind of feel bad about it and maybe like it wasn't a legitimate uh, genre or whatever, but it's like, no, th- I think there's a need for it. It not only does it help me personally, like it's a great catharsis, but for people reading it too, as well, uh, you know, I think they get something out of it. And so mm-hmm. that's probably, that's probably the main reason why my stuff is pretty dark. Yeah. And like, honestly, I, I, I think it's healthy too, because like, um, like when you have dark thoughts or any kind of thought, it doesn't have, mean anything, like whatever, it can be sexual or what, but like, if you actually openly write it down on a piece of paper, 
and like you're actually open with it and can write it down like that's you're letting it go you're not repressing it like mm -hmm. the other thing that people will do is like if they have a dark thought or something that they're just like no like they'll like turn their back on it and just be like nope that didn't happen or like they'll try to fight it and that's how you repress it and that's how that thought can turn into like dangerous action like if you do that for years and years because like now you're just keep repressing and repressing and it keeps getting out of your conscious mind so like it's just deep in your unconscious and that's when it can actually do like really horrible shit right but like when doing what you're doing it's like uh yeah it's kind of like it feels kind of like a quentin tarantino thing just like fucking like yeah like uh, go out there and uh let those thoughts kind of come out and like have fun with them and you're writing stories with them and i think that's really cool uh one of what you just said reminded me that's probably why i wrote my first novel bright side because it deals with telepathy and about having dark thoughts i actually came up with that idea for the book because i was sitting next to my wife and we we're outside and i had this thought and if she had heard my thought like we probably would have been divorced and it wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't an intentional thought. It was just this thought that went through my head and I caught it. I'm like, holy shit. And uh, so on bright side, like I explored that where, you know, everyone like telepathy is outlawed. Everyone sent to this town um, or killed. And, uh, and just how tough it would be to not only to be able to hear everyone else's thoughts, especially your lovers, but if they could hear yours and just how screwed up that would be. But I think a lot of it was me trying just to be okay with like, okay, you know what? We all have, we all have thoughts that we kind of wish we didn't, you know, and, and, it, and they don't necessarily even mean anything. It's just part of us. It's just our brain going through it. But that's what, uh, that's what bright side and beyond bright side was all about. I think. That's awesome. I love the idea of that uh, book because yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Like uh, that would be a very horrible thing to hear yeah. each other's thoughts. <laughs> uh, so I know like uh, I saw that you also use like writing for like therapeutic purposes as well. Like, uh, can you explain that to my audience? Because this is something I do exactly the same or I do the same thing with it. And I find it like can be the best therapy like ever. Like, uh, can you explain a little bit of like how you do it? Yeah, um, I learned about it. So I I knew I liked to write. I didn't know why. And then I went to um, went to Esalon for a week long writing seminar, and it was it was very intimidating going to it. But it was for uh, dangerous writing with Tom Spanbauer, who uh, Chuck Palnick uh, from Fight Club. That was his writing mentor. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, and his whole prompt was write about a moment from your past that after you were different. So the moment that happened that changed you as a person. And I couldn't really think of anything. And I, I wrote about something that had happened 12 years before my friend killing himself. And I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. But then I went there and then they kind of explained it. And then they walked us through this process about writing it in first person and present tense. So you actually go to that moment in your past and relive it. And man, I had like the biggest emotional breakthrough. Um, I was crying until like six in the morning one night working on this thing. Oh, wow. uh, and it was, it, I thought I was completely over it, but uh, there, I, I wasn't, I still had so much repressed guilt and shame and all these different emotions. But after I wrote it, like I was so good. And then I noticed everyone else in the group also had the same kind of emotional breakthrough, whatever their story was, like everyone was in there crying and, uh, you know, they became better writers, which was the goal of my instructors. 
but they also had this huge emotional breakthrough. So that's what I kind of, I do that, that same exercise with friends all the time. Well, friends that are brave enough to try it because a lot of people will not do it. Um, I've had several friends tell me like, Nope, I I'm past that moment. I have it in a little box. It's here in my brain. I'm never going to open up that box again. Yeah. And it's like, I was like, okay, but you do realize that that box is weighing down on here and that's causing depression and that's causing anxiety. And that's causing, I was like, exactly. No, it's true. And I, I, I like, I don't know. I, I, I work with like uh, the writing stuff and like I do psychedelic work as well every like year kind of thing. So like, I know what you're saying. That box is always there, like putting weight on the, like, and like affecting like all different parts of your life, your emotions, your mental health, like everything. And like, it's, it's hard work sometimes to like open that box, but like, it's always, always for me, it's been like the smart thing to do be take precaution do it in a smart way like be with people like hopefully have like a support group or something like that mm-hmm. like so don't be stupid about it but like uh yeah you got to open that box so like uh, can you like what was the kind of like writing exercise you were saying like they just ask you about uh like different moments in your life or how does this yeah work? And what, what, so when I have someone do it, I, I ask them to come up with like write down like five to ten mo- moments from your past that you kind of wish didn't happen, whether you're embarrassed and, you know, whether it's a girlfriend leaving you, maybe it's your grandma dying, maybe, man, I've, I've had friends tell me, you know, about being raped when they were five, uh, you know, it, so it, it could be, it could be incredibly extreme, but honestly, it could be as small as, you know, uh, your dad coming home from work and just really tearing into you and maybe doesn't even hit you, but maybe it's the way he looks at you. Like, yeah, yeah. who knows what it is? Um, and then, uh, so I, I told them to write down, you know, five to 10 things, uh, let it sit. And then when they're ready, pick the one that they really don't want to do, or even the one that they didn't write down because they were too embarrassed to write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's, there's, there's probably one of those. And then just writing two pages, first person, present tense, you know, um, so just go really go into that moment where, you know, um, you know, where, whether you're five or six or 12, doesn't matter. Like you just become that little kid again. And then you write about what's happening. Um, and the important thing to remember too, a lot of people say, well, my memory kind of sucks and I don't remember the details, but just giving yourself permission to fictionalize the whole thing and change details and, 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 and mix it yeah. up. And get it, uh, just get it on paper. Once you start flowing, you'll feel, you'll, feel like uh, you'll be surprised with like how the memories just start coming back so accurately you'll be like oh shit yeah wait that happened that and then all of a sudden you start feeling the emotions that were there I honestly I did this honestly just a few weeks ago uh I, I think there was like a memory I was talking with someone I think there was a memory that was there and um it was just a memory of someone who hurt me in the past so like uh somebody told me just write it down and pretty much do exactly what you were saying and I did and I was writing it down and then those feelings of like this person hurting me like started to pop up again and it was like you know it's kind of intense it's not a like you know but you write it through you do the whole thing and then after you're done with it like you feel so much lighter. You you feel like you're like, holy shit, like I did actually get this out. And like, I, I, I can look down at the piece of paper and just kind of see what it is and like not feel so like, not feel so attached to it anymore and be like, hey, this doesn't need to have that much power over me. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's not like it, this is completely out of the blue now or like this is completely out and it's like not going to affect you anymore. Like this is like gradual work you have to keep doing. But like, 
that therapeutic aspect to it is like so beautiful, right? Yeah, I, I think so. It, it, it allows you one nice thing too, like for me, it, it allowed me to forgive myself and to, uh, because when you're writing, like with all my writing, I want to make it believable. So, and I always tell people like, well, change the name of the person, even though you're I, when you're writing it, like make it a different name. So it gives you a little bit of protection. So then you could ask yourself, okay, well, this guy who's five years old, what would he really feel if this happened to him, you know, and he's experiencing this. And then you're like, oh yeah, he would be scared. He would be embarrassed. He would be, you know, but if you're writing about yourself, a lot of people don't want to admit that, oh, well, I shouldn't be scared. I shouldn't be embarrassed. I shouldn't, you know, I should, but when it's this other person, you're like, oh yeah, anyone in that situation should feel that. And so then you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm normal. I, I should, you know, I shouldn't feel bad that I had these emotions. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the big things that I got from it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you ever done this kind of work just for like, uh, I did like a few different writing courses a few years ago that really set my life on track. And uh, like it had a lot to do with what you're talking about, going back to like key moments in your life and really writing about them, be as like clear as possible. Like you said, if you need to fictionalize, fictionalize, just like get it out on the paper and like really see what emotions and shit pop up that are and what they are and like how they have shaped you. That's what you kind of want to know. And then like you, like when you do this, you start getting more understanding of yourself, what's more important to yourself, like what's your values. And then all of a sudden you take that from the past and go to the future and then start like saying like, what do you want in the future? Like, where do you want to go? What do you want? Like, like, what do you want for yourself? And you can really like actually shape your life and put yourself on the right direction with writing. Um, And yeah, they, they've shown like writing, like, uh, like people who do this, like they scientifically have shown have been like uh, more uh, like more likely to actually achieve their goals and more likely to be in a happier, more healthier mindset like years in the future, just from doing these kind of exercises, right? That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. No, I love that, man. Um, and like, uh, so like, <laughs> so, like you're, so you with the writing, you're into the dark and disturbing stuff. Uh, also, heavy metal's a big uh, like influence on your life. So <laughs> give us a little uh, insight into like uh, how heavy metal is a part of your uh, life. Um, man, I've I've been into metal from as young. I I forget what year it was. Probably I was probably about ten years old when my brother brought home Iron Maiden. And from then I was just a huge metal head. I love it. It fit my identity, you know, cause I was, I wanted to be the tough guy. I wanted to be the strong guy, the, you know, the scary guy. Um, scary guy. And so, <laughs> you know, that's probably one of the things that really attracted me to it. The, the physicality of it. I love going to into mosh pits and um, you know, and just getting out all that aggression. Cause I, I've always had a lot of aggression Um I definitely listened to it a lot less since, uh, I don't know, maybe since my daughter was born, especially over the last couple of years, I, I, I found I can't really listen to loud, chaotic music as much. Um, and I'm just in a better place mentally if I'm listening to calmer stuff. Um, I even do like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, so. I listen to classical music a lot, which is kind of embarrassing now, but, uh, and I yeah, find myself playing that if I play guitar, like I'm not playing the heavy metal stuff. I'm playing pop music or classical or, or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I think, I think all the metal definitely helped with my, uh, storytelling ability. Cause I, I love reading lyrics. I, I, that's, that was probably my favorite thing. I got so many, so many of my story ideas were sparked by, either lyrics in a song or title of a song. Uh, 
Uh, I probably have like maybe 30 short stories that are named after heavy metal songs, like five minutes alone by Pantera. And there's all these different ones. And so um, I, and then again, like I was, you know, early on it was death metal and a ton of Slayer. And so that really added to, you know, probably my horror writing. Um, Mm. So I think it all, I mean, really anything that we're, whether we're watching it on TV or we're listening to it on the radio or whatever we're bringing in, like that's what's going to go out. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I, I think heavy metal probably shaped a lot of my personality and my writing. Yeah, that's awesome. And like shaped your creativity. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. And like, yeah, we always take images from like, like this kind of art we were influenced to and like kind of like end up putting that image in our art form as well which is such a like I always find that beautiful like it doesn't uh, matter what you, whatever you're into like and if you're creating something it's gonna like show its influence in there eventually right and I love that um so like you were just saying like uh you know you always wanted to be that tough guy and like uh so like when did that like when did you kind of grow out of that or recognize that or like <laughs> what like because you said like yeah like you always kind of wanted to be that like seen as that guy i i think we're still working on it um, <laughs> you know it's and that's one of the, like uh i haven't been able to do jujitsu partially because of the pandemic but then also like neck injuries and stuff like that uh, you know and again that was me like there were different reasons why i like to do it but part of it is you know you want to be tough you want to prove it um i think i just had so much you know, the low self-esteem early on really affected me. I was always suicidal. I, I hated myself. Um, I had a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I don't know, for me, being tough and strong, it was just probably a defense mechanism. You know, it was like I didn't have the ability to I didn't have the ability to vocalize my emotions, uh, you know, in so just being if I was a big scary looking tough guy then you know maybe people just stay away from me or maybe they'll respect me on a different level um and I think that was probably it but dude like I'm honestly I mean and that was one of the questions I would get all the time like why did I fight because most of like my friends wives everyone like I'm I'm a sucker dude like I'm a I'm a sweetheart usually um and like I love playing with kids and you know stay-at-home dad all that so I don't know a lot of it I think it was more of a tough guy act, but still like if someone were to challenge me, I would probably react the wrong way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so I still, I still need some work on that. Um, But I'm realizing, you know, that's just not as important. Okay. That's a, that's a good realization. (laughs) Um, So uh, also before we uh, head on to the last question, I got to ask you, but uh, before that, let's uh, talk about your cannabis use a little bit, because you were saying, um, when you were in like some of those rough patches with your depression and anxiety, you were pretty much smoking all day. Like uh, what's the relationship with uh, weed right now? And like, um, do you feel, do think it's like a healthier relationship now? Um, I do. I do. So I started, I started smoking when I was 15 and which is about the age I started having my concussions and who, I don't know how closely it's related, uh, but definitely a heavy smoker. Um, when I was in my twenties, thirties, forties, like, pretty much all day long, I, I would be getting high. It would, it'd be the majority of my time. Um, since then, since these changes, like with the hormone regulation, my doctor warned me I wouldn't be using nearly as much cannabis uh, because the neuroreceptors were going to be, 
I forget the the terminology, but she just told me, she's like, watch, she's like, you're not going to be able to handle as much. I was like, yeah, we'll oh, okay. see. About that. Um, so that lowered my, my need for it. And neurofeedback did the same when I did neurofeedback again, it cut my, my use in about half. And so now I don't really feel the need to smoke. Um, but I still do every day, uh, you know, <laughs> pretty much like around dinner time before I cook dinner, I'll, I'll go out and I'll smoke a little bit. And then, um, maybe right before bed. So it's probably like two or three bags. Like I use a volcano vaporizer or edibles. So I'm, I don't want to harm my lungs. So I worry about that. Um, and then the other thing I worry about too, is in the, the book I showed the end of mental illness, he talks about cannabis lowers your blood flow to certain parts of your brain. Like he has the brain scans in there that show cannabis users. Um, uh, yeah, so I was, I was tempted to go get my brain scanned to see whether or not it, you know, the cannabis is negatively affecting my brain, but a big part of me doesn't even want to know that because, you know, maybe it is lowering, you know, taking off a little bit of my brain health, but, if I'm doing all these other things to make it better, and if cannabis is making my life better, man, like I honestly believe it improves my quality of life, especially how I use it now. Like generally, I'll go outside, I'll smoke, and then the first thing I do is come back in and apologize to my wife or my kids. I'm like, you know what? Today, daddy didn't do a good job of this or this. You know, today, you know what? When when I yelled at you or when I looked at you wrong or whatever, like that's where all my self-reflection comes in, you know, it just helps me, you know, get to this place where I'm able to look at myself and what I did that day and be like, okay, yeah, you know what, I didn't do that great. So let's go make up for it. You know, I did this good, you know, I did that good. And then the other nice thing is that's what allows me to go right into writing. You know, it's like, I'll smoke and then I'll write and it's just, I'm able to concentrate. So it doesn't matter what else happened that day. All of a sudden I'm here, I'm on the page, I'm back into this little world and you know, I don't want to give that up. Yeah. And honestly, that's exactly what my uh, cannabis use is kind of uh, turning into. It's like uh, I use it uh, mostly just like have a little bit of weed, go right. And like, uh, yeah, it it puts me in the perfect mood to write. And it also, like you said, it puts you in a perfect mood for self-reflection. Like it really does. And uh, hey, that's important. So no complaints about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I got to ask you the question of the podcast. So uh, Mark Tullius. God, yay or nay? I'm going, I'm going with, I don't know, man. I, I, I'd lean towards nay, but uh, when I did DMT, the most beautiful experience of my life, um, I don't know, that, that kind of changed things a little bit. That, that took me from being a full-on atheist to, um, you know, to like, well, maybe there is something, you know, we're all connected. Um, you know, I don't know. And I think, and this is what I tell my kids. I was like, man, no one knows shit. No one knows what's true. I was like, and I tell them, I was like, and don't let anyone tell you that they know the truth, you know, because so many people are convinced they know the truth, but these million people say, this is the truth. These millions say, this is the truth. These millions say, that's the truth. Like, so what is truth? Um, and so I just, just along with like, with everything else in my life, I'm like, I really don't know, you know, uh, and I never will, but uh, yeah. I'm going with uh, no, but the nice thing is you can, st- whether or not you believe in God, you can still live an incredible life and be a great person and make the world a better place. And uh, so that's kind of where oh, I'm yeah. at. Hey, no complaints with that, man. Uh, 
Yeah, that's actually cool. You said DMT. Like uh, I work with uh, ayahuasca a lot for the last five years. So it's the same molecule for the most part. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, interesting. Like it's uh, like ayahuasca has definitely like changed the way I look at these questions too. Um, do you remember much about your DMT experience? I know it's like really intense and quick, right? Yeah. And I, I, I'd been too scared to do ayahuasca because I had, I had buddies telling me about all the puking and everything else and like craziness. Um, the DMT was nice. It was quick and it was probably, you know, maybe 20 minutes. I remember the entire thing and it was just, it was awesome. Like it was a little bit scary at the start. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was definitely one of the best experiences ever. And it's like, how could anyone say that's illegal, you know, to have that? That's one of the things that really upsets me about all drug laws is like, you know what, if you want to do something, just do it. Uh, yeah. you know, so we don't need laws to keep us safe, but no, I think, I think it was pretty amazing. I don't know if I need to do it again. If, if the opportunity arose, I would, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, uh, I definitely got a lot from it I, for the, the brain issue stuff. I was going to do a whole chapter on psychedelics and, and play around with different things. Um, but now I'm not sure if I'm going to, uh, but I would love to have you on my podcast so we could discuss some more about uh, psychedelics and everything else. Yeah. yeah. Hey man, <laughs> I have a lot of ayahuasca stories I can give awesome. you, <laughs> but uh, no, that's awesome, man. Uh, like, so can you uh, just uh, give me an idea of like uh, any description of a DMT trip? Just cause I'm, I'm wondering, I know it's so hard to like describe uh, these States, but like, oh, no, know. I'd, I'd love to. Um, all right, so we decided to smoke. My buddy, we had just done jujitsu, came over to the house. Uh, he asked us, he's like, hey, anyone wants to do DMT? I'm like, hell yeah, I've been wanting to do it for years. And so he had it. We smoked it out of a bong. I had my I had my pen and paper uh, and my phone. Uh, it was, I had, you know, I had this. I, I take the hit. All of a sudden, my hearing starts ramping up. It was like, wow, 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 wow. And uh, I look down at my page and all the words are starting to fall off of it. It's just like, uh, I threw my phone away from me. Uh, I barely was able to stumble over to the grass and lay down. Um, And then I just kept remembering my buddy saying, just breathe, just breathe. And uh, so my eyes were closed. I was laying down. Oh, and I I also saw like a lot of geometric type of patterns, like raising up from the ground. Uh, My buddy, like this is just, before my eyes closed, there was some kind of trippy stuff. Um, but then when my eyes were closed, I saw this image in the, you know, the middle of my vision or whatever, my eyes closed. And it was kind of, it looked, it almost looked like a, is it Alex Gray, uh, the artist? Uh, it looked like a tool cover, um, but it was just crazy. The, the sound kept ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. Uh, these symbols just kept like spinning, spinning, spinning. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like I took off into this big, huge, beautiful, geometric, <laughs> like, world and just looking at everything. And it just kept moving and things would float by. And it was just, it was beautiful, um, you know, and it probably didn't last that long. It's probably like 15, 20 minutes. And I remember coming out of it, you know, sitting up and again, seeing just some weird things happening with, you know, different uh, perspective of reality, whatever, you know, stuff rising from the ground and, and different shapes and different things standing out. But, you know, later that day, like it's probably an hour later, everything's completely back to normal. And, um, I think that's, I think they used to call it the businessman's trip or something like that, because it'd be, you know, something that you could do at lunchtime and, 
Yeah, <laughs> go back to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. Uh, yeah, that sounds crazy. Um, all right, uh, Mark. Thank you so much. This was uh, you. You were such a great guest. Um, please let my audience know uh, where they can uh, find you, your books, uh, anything you want to promote. Go nuts. Awesome. Um, everything is all linked at uh, marktulius.com. That's my website. Uh, all my books are on Amazon. Um, they're also available other places, but yeah, I'd, I'd say Amazon, just Mark Tullius. And that's, that's the nice thing with that name is there's not a lot of us. So nice. uh, you, you put that in you'll find me. Uh, all right, sweet. I'll, I'll toss that in the podcast description, but uh, yeah, this was awesome. Thanks a lot, Mark. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for tuning in everyone. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always does help. Check me out on Instagram at NewerKidY and all the other social media platforms. And my website is NewerKidY.com. You can check out my comedy dates and stuff like that on there as well. And you can check out all my comedy videos as well, which I really do appreciate. This uh, podcast is part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. Give them a check out as well and you can see more podcasts from other comedians and uh, funny people in Canada. Thanks so much, guys, and I'll see you again on another episode of God Yay or Nay.